The Conservative Party of Canada just finally finished their leadership race. Pierre Polyver is the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. And today I'm joined by Scott Hayward, a good friend and colleague in the movement, president and co-founder of Right Now to talk all about Conservative Party of Canada leadership, what it means for pro-lifers and what the next step is for Right Now and you and I involved in Canada and the global pro-life movement. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Cam. I'm your host, and this is a program dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassion and compelling conversations about abortion so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture from one which largely supports abortion to one which entirely rejects it in all stages of pregnancy and in all situations mothers and fathers are faced with. That's the goal of the podcast. And generally speaking, we do a lot of apologetics-oriented podcasts so that you know how to respond to different arguments that you might hear on the streets, in your office, on social media, whatever it may be. Sometimes we do episodes like this um, where we'll be featuring a conversation I uh, am fortunate to have had with Scott Hayward, who is the president of Right Now, a Canadian pro-life political organization that works to nominate elect um, pro-life politicians. Um, This isn't necessarily apologetics per se, but this is good information for pro-lifers to be aware of. As we're having conversations about abortion, not necessarily so that we are regurgitating content that you are going to hear today, but rather so that you know what is going on. What is the backdrop upon which many people are interacting with the pro-life issue? Because the pro-life issue um, really connects with a ton of other issues that are on the go. And even you look at what's happening in politics in general and how this fits into the greater pro-life movement. So often we talk about it, but I'll reiterate it here again. The goal of the pro-life movement is to make abortion unpracticed. That is the ultimate goal of the pro-life movement, to stop abortions from happening. And there's lots of ways that we get there. We have the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement working to make abortion unnecessary by providing better support, both material, emotional, spiritual, psychological, so that no mother, no father, no family ever feels as though they need access to abortion. We have the educational arm, which is where I fit in with um, both the Pro-Life Guys podcast and the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, the parent organization, trying to proactively educate folks so that they so that abortion is unthinkable. So they don't want abortion in the first place, regardless of their current situation or the legal situation, political situation in their country. And the last arm that we're going to focus on today, which is the political arm of the pro-life movement, which is looking to make abortion inaccessible or illegal, as it were. And so that's what we're working on. I think that we might get a quick visit from my beautiful daughter here, um, which is kind of cool. Eleanor, can you say hi? Hi. Thank you, honey. Um, My daughter is beautiful. She just finished her nap. And I'm going to keep her off screen because I am trying to not have her on the internet. But maybe she can say hi again. Can you? What is your name, honey? Thank you. Eleanor Cote. Uh, My wonderful uh, two and a half year old or so daughter who just woke up from nap. Um, But that all said, please don't touch any of the buttons. <laughs> that all said, uh, we are excited to talk to Scott. Um, and by we, I mean I. I'm excited to talk to Scott. He's a great friend in the movement. I've known him for many years now. And I'm excited to have all of this. And so stay tuned. And um, we'll tune back in again shortly. Shortly. 
All right, folks, you know the name, Scott Hayward. He's been on the show before, but never as a co-podcaster. Scott, you have entered the realm of podcasting while keeping up all of your other awesome stuff with right now. We're going to dive into a ton of politics, but before we get there, how's the life of podcasting? Is it coming naturally? Or are you loving it? For anyone who doesn't know, the Stinking Albatross's podcast can be found everywhere, I believe. But what is the life of a podcaster like? Has it changed dramatically? <laughs> Well, you know, I, uh, I I don't know if I'm any good at it or not. Um, I quite I quite enjoy it. Uh, we do it every week. Uh, we try to keep it weekly, uh, releasing our podcast episodes every Friday. Uh, we try to have a variety of guests. Like uh, today, in fact, earlier this morning, we were recording an episode to talk about what we're about to talk about right now right. Um, with much of the same subtopics on the conservative leadership race. And we had Andrew Lawton on. We try to get, right. you know, members of the media um, you know, we've had Jonathan Van Maren, we've had Dr. Callum Miller and uh, other guests on as well. And we look forward to other guests coming on in the future. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It, it was honestly something that uh, my my colleague Alyssa really is wanting to do for the past uh, year or so. Um, and this past spring, we finally uh, pushed the start button and decided to do it uh, right in the middle of her mat leave. So, yeah, I, I can't say there's any any big changes, except that I try to keep my weekends interesting. So when we have a weekend update, I have something to say besides I barbecued this type of meat and drank this type of beer. Although that's a pretty good weekend to me, to be honest. I was, I was going to say, can't complain too much about that. I, I know that Peter yeah. wanted. Uh, so for those of you new to the show, Peter Boss used to be my co-host. He's moved on to the greener pastures, I suppose, um, in other ministries. But he used to he used to ask me what life was like, but he got tired of hearing about all the sports that I was doing <laughs> and the fantasy stuff that I was I was doing on my phone. And so he stopped asking me. But that that's I I have loved you guys' podcast so far. I tuned into the one actually that you did with Andrew Lawton about his book on the Freedom Convoy yep. and a few with uh, Jonathan. So can't recommend it highly enough. Check it out on all your favorite. Um, I don't know, podcatchers, right? Like, like it's on everywhere. YouTube, everywhere you, all that kind yeah, of stuff. YouTube, yeah. Rumble, Apple, Google, all that stuff. Um, stinkingalbatross.com, I believe. Ugh, don't quote nice. me on that. .com, .co. <laughs> I'll, I'll redirect you regardless. And uh, you can sign up and uh, get all the notifications. Before I let you uh, go on, uh, you were mentioning sports and whatnot. And <laughs> I have to ask, how many fantasy teams do you have going on right now? So, so I only manage one fantasy team at a time. My wife has restricted me to just one. And la actually, okay. last year was the first year I ever did it. So I've only got the one on the go. Really? I'm still de debating right now. I'm I'm surprised because you're you're a you're a very you're a card shark, right? Like you're a very good yeah. poker player, and uh, you're a very intelligent guy. So I I figured you would have been into this stuff deep for years. No, so I, I have followed sports very, very avidly for a very long time. And then a buddy of mine from Calgary got me into fantasy stuff last year. It was the first year I'd ever done it. I did it with a, a group of friends and it was fantastic. I'm doing it in a public league this year, which is brutal compared to a league with <laughs> people that actually care. Like half the teams, right. I mean, they're, for anyone who does fantasy sports, half the teams have their like pitchers, like half of them are on the IL for like 60 days. And, and there's no rotation, no competition whatsoever. I think it's... The, the top team is eight games above where I'm at. And then I'm like 38 games above where the next team is at. And oh, wow. That's it, a gap. It just, it's a terrible drop off. So anyhow, yeah, I, I will be doing more, but I'll probably restrict it to one team a year. Maybe fantasy hockey this year. We'll see. But so far, fantasy baseball. We should have a pro-life fantasy league. 
we wouldn't be able to get enough people to, to know <laughs> just think be you and I. No, yeah, he just would be you and me. Like. Yeah. <laughs> head to head. Here oh, we go. Yeah. Alyssa would just be the homer. She would have like the entire Toronto Maple Leafs roster on, regardless of how poorly yeah. they're doing again. But you, so But you know, no? now that she's married to a Calgarian, right? And like okay. Calgary has a pretty decent team. Like they'll probably yeah. be pretty close top to the division. I can't see them not making the playoffs this year. Um, I think it's kind of broadened her her vision a little bit. And uh, I think she's a little more accepting that there are other players uh, on other <laughs> hockey teams that are actually pretty good. Um, Hopefully. So that would be interesting. There'd be three of us. There'd be three, be of, three us. of us at least. At least. Yeah. Peter would try, but but Peter struggled to to keep up. He, he would profess himself as a sports fan and be like, well, did you watch that like Celtics-Bulls game the other night where like that guy got ejected for this one random thing? He'd be like... Is that NBA or like, is that still basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Peter, not, not to throw too much shade, but I, I've come to realize just how avid of a sports fan I am d- diving into the realm of social conservatism where most people don't have a television, <laughs> let alone um, familiarity with, with any sports teams, let alone um, more than one sports team. Well, one little quick thing, and we can move on from that. Speaking yep. of no television, um, going to my, and usually I only get to one, but going to my second uh, football game, this year, this Saturday, the Bombers are in town because I live in Hamilton or just outside. So they're coming to play the Tiger Cats, who have had terrible, terrible luck this year. Going yeah. from two Grey Cups uh, in a row, where obviously they lost both to the Blue Bombers, but being in the Grey Cups uh, two years in a row to now being bottom of the league is, uh, especially bottom of the East, which is a terrible division, is bad. So I feel I, I do feel terrible for them because it's a great football town, it's a great stadium. I'm really excited to go watch it. But yeah. No television, uh, like a good social conservative going straight to the source. Exactly. I love it. Love it. And I mean, to be fair, there's a little bit of hope for them because the East Division, like they win one game and they probably go to the top of the lineup or something. I mean, it's, the East is well, so bad that, that they win one or two and they're probably right yeah, back to the playoff hunt. You potentially have Saskatchewan on the crossover and uh, Montreal is kind of picking up a little bit in the middle of the season. And I think I think Toronto's better than the record shows. Like they almost, yeah. I was at that, that was the first game I was at. They almost beat uh, the Bombers. It weren't for that uh, failed field goal attempt. But anyway, that's probably Anyhow. <laughs> yeah. That's not why I'm here. <laughs> the background. Love it, love it. The real reason you're here. So we, um, we what are we today? Day of recording. We are on September 15th. The the results of the CPC leadership came out um, five days ago, September 10th, I believe. Um, and I think it's fair to say, Scott, and correct me if I'm wrong, there weren't any major surprises, um, especially at the top. I, I think yeah. it's fair to say that you, you called it months ago that um, this is Pierre's race to lose. And I don't think that he did anything to lose it per se, especially with, with his supporter base. But give me a breakdown. What goes through your mind on Saturday the 10th? Were you waiting with bated breath, um, taking notes through the entire announcement? Did you know that this was um, a bit of a foregone conclusion? What th- went through your mind on Saturday? Yeah, I absolutely not was uh, taking notes because it was my daughter's first birthday party. Um, so I was I was busy with that. And if I weren't busy with that, I would have been watching the football game because I would have known what this was. That's not true. If it weren't for that, I would have been up in in Ottawa, you know, for my job working and, and, and meeting with people and whatnot. But no, I, I don't think anyone's really surprised. I think maybe some people are surprised by um, the margin of his win. I, I think a lot of people thought it would be on the first ballot. Um, you know, I was talking to people who were in the counting room, who observed a lot of ballots, and they figured they'd be on the first ballot. They didn't figure it'd be, you know, maybe quite to that margin. Um, but uh, it's not a surprise nonetheless. In, and, you know, when you when you go to into the numbers, uh, there's nothing, again, that's all that surprising. Pierre won uh, 330 out of 338 ridings. 
Uh, of course, it's a riding point system. And I believe in the last podcast back in April, we kind of quickly went through that. So if people want to know how it works, you can go check that out. Um, Jean Charest won the other eight, six in Quebec, two in Ontario. Um, huge, massive margins for Pierre in in most ridings, most especially in Western Canada. Um, even though there was a seven-point gap in terms of points, so uh, Jean Charest got 16% of the points and Les and Lewis got 9% of the points, they actually both got 11% of the votes and there was less than a 2,000-vote margin between the two of them. Uh, Jean Charest got 48,000 and change and Les and Lewis was almost 47,000. So they, they were quite close and Les and increased the number of votes from last time, which is quite impressive because probably a good solid, you know, anywhere between 20 and 30, and I don't know about 50, but it could be not far off from 50% of the people who voted for her in the 2020 leadership race probably voted for Pierre in uh, this leadership race. So in the in the underlying numbers, there's nothing too, too significant. Although one thing I would like to point out is uh, Scott Aitchison. So yeah. Scott Aitchison, uh, you know, presented himself as his unifier. He's um, a second term uh, member of parliament for uh, Perry Sound Muskoka. That's Tony Clement's old riding. And, uh, but of course, he was talking about unity on his terms, which it was in a very red Tory type of way. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, uh, besides kind of Pierre going after um, Jean Chere a little bit, and definitely Patrick Brown going after uh, Pierre. Um, it was, it was, I thought it was fairly cordial between everyone for the most part, uh, except, uh, Scott HSM would be quite, uh, nasty at times toward Les and Lewis. And so I was like, well, I wonder how many, uh, ridings where Scott got, uh, zero votes, like no votes whatsoever, which is, you know, when there's over 400,000 votes cast, you know, on average over a thousand votes per riding is pretty impressive to not get a single vote in one of those ridings. And, uh, he got zero votes in over 10% of the ridings and 36 ridings. So I thought that that's kind of a little interesting uh, tidbit right there. Uh, how about you, uh, Cam? Were you at all surprised? Like, is this what a lot of people thought it would be? Kind of what were you hearing? So I, from everything that I was hearing, it it was not surprising at all. I, I know yeah. that back in April, I had kind of tried to be this voice of optimism, being like, oh, I, I think that like Les and Lewis can hang in there for a little bit and and maybe... I, I was especially anticipating that that if the COVID issue, if the personal freedom stuff kind of moved a little bit more peripheral to a lot of people's minds, and this would have been a major change for Leslie. But I think that Pierre knew exactly who his base was. He messaged brilliantly to them. And just looking at some of the numbers that I saw about the number of memberships that came in through his campaigns and whatnot, like it's, it, it seems obvious to me that this was the writing on the wall for where many of the people who are invested in politics or I mean, still all things considered, you look at the number of people who voted in this leadership election versus voted for the conservative party of Canada in the last federal election. Like, like, I don't know exactly what the proportion is. I'm sure that you've probably got that on the top of your head, but it's, it's a, a, a very small minority of people who, um, have voted conservative in federal elections, got involved in this leadership, but the volume in which Pierre was able to mobilize and kind of invigorate it, I, can't say that I was surprised with the end result, disappointed, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I think that it was fairly, fairly natural in how it unfolded with where a lot of Canadians, right? Even, even members within our staff, our volunteer base and whatnot, the conversations that are unfolding outside of doing actual activism on street corners, talk to people about abortion. 
as soon as those conversations end, it it dives immediately into the politics and especially the politics that um, Pierre was very, very um, frequent and eloquent about speaking about. So no, no major surprise on my end either. Yeah. Um, and in, in terms of pro-lifers and social conservatives, um, you know, a lot of people might look at the result and say, well, okay, well, you know, pro-lifers and social conservatives only constitute, you know, 10 to 11% of the party. And, um, and, and, and there might be some people on Pierre's team that, that would read that and interpret that. And that would be, I think, a very gross misinterpretation. And, and Cam, you're in Alberta and you guys have your own leadership race uh, right now within the United Conservative Party of Alberta. And we're seeing something similar. You know, Daniel Smith is one of the front runners, if not the front runner. Um, but Daniel Smith's, you know, voting record and her, um, well, actually, she doesn't have a voting record, but but her her public statement record on issues such as abortion and uh, conscience rights, and especially when it comes to, um, you know, what kind of trans uh, gendered ideology you're going to have in, in public schools, it's, it's very much offside with most uh, pro-lifers and social conservatives in Alberta. So, you know, for example, you, you do have someone like Travis Taves or Todd Lowen, who um, are, are, you know, the strong pro-lifers are running in the race, actually want to see the number of abortions in Alberta significantly reduced. I mean, they've both said that publicly. Um, but uh, especially Travis Taves being a cabinet minister under Jason Kenney, you know, a lot of people, and rightfully so, I, I would say, are, are upset at the Jason Kenney government for, you know, the incarceration of, of pastors who wanted to keep you know, their their congregations open during the COVID-19 restrictions and things of this nature. Um, and that that quite hasn't dissipated yet, but it eventually will dissipate. And so kind of come back full circle. A lot of those people were voting for Pierre because he picked up on that issue, I would say, in the nick of time, like about a week before the trucker convoy got to Ottawa. All of a sudden he woke up and started speaking about it um and like what what whatever and, and, and good on him, I suppose um, he hit it at the right time. Uh, so you, you do have a good number of social conservatives that will be within that fold that voted for him, number one, over Leslam because of that issue. Um, but that issue is going to dissipate. Uh, I mean, we see numerous countries, including, for example, most recently, New Zealand, that had one of the greatest restrictions, especially for people coming into New Zealand in terms of COVID for the last two years, drop all of those restrictions. Uh, and now you have uh, their prime minister, uh, Jacinda Arden, I believe her name is. Um, she's now talking, well, you know, we, we can't punish people for personal choices and whatnot, like a 180 degree change in rhetoric. So you, you can see that this is already kind of moving along in other parts of the world. And as that occurs in Canada, and really all we have left are the Arrive Can app um, crossing the border into the United States and a few things in healthcare in terms of restrictions, um, you know, six months from now, 12 months now, whatnot. That's not going to be an issue. And all those people part of Pierre's coalition or part of Daniel Smith's coalition, they're going to be looking at other issues as they arise. You know, what kind of legislation are the liberals going to be introducing in terms of, you know, taking away the charitable tax as for pro-life charities or whatever um, weird legislation they're going to have in terms of trans this and trans that, you know, is he going to actually speak on it or is he going to be silent? And if he's going to be silent, you know, there's a good portion of his coalition that over time that that's going to pick that up and perhaps not be so happy with that. So anyway, it, it's just, I, I wouldn't read into these results saying that pro-lifers and social conservatives only constitute, you know, 
10 to 11% of the party, I think it would be, you know, probably triple that, which are normally has been and for the time being at least temporarily they're they're in pierre's camp or you know in alberta for the ucp they're in daniel smith's camp and and both candidates frankly uh should daniel smith win and i i don't think she has nearly as big of a lead as as pierre does in this race like i I think that she could very well not win but i would also say that if she is not amongst the top two or three front runners she is definitely the top front runner um you know, they could keep these people in their own personal coalitions. I don't know if they want to or know how or are interested in it. Um, but to say that, you know, other pro-lifers and social conservatives are not in those coalitions, I think would be a very, very uh, gross error and misinterpretation of those results. I think it makes a ton of sense. And and like you said, it kind of the, the timing fed so well into the results. And I, I guess that kind of leads into that next question of, of what is next? I Because I is it fair to say that the results of this are probably going to indicate a slightly different trajectory for the C, uh, CPC leadership than the last couple of results between Aaron O'Toole and Andrew Scheer? Um, the, the margin of, of victory was obviously nowhere near this. We've never seen this margin of victory before. And so it's probably not in, in social conservatives' best interest to, to just start planning for the next leadership uh, race, presumably. It, it, this is, things are going to have to go pretty poorly for Pierre um, for there to be another leadership race in the next couple of years. Is that fair to say? Or, or what do you think this means for social conservatives when it comes to federal politics and how we interact with the Conservative Party of Canada. Is this a matter of looking for another opportunity to replace him with a, a Leslie Lewis all over again? Or is this going to be a matter of, okay, we're going to be locked in, all um, all things being equal with Pierre for at least a foreseeable future kind of thing? This is what we need to start directing our efforts to on the federal level. Um, where, do, where do you see this kind of playing out over the coming months and years sort of thing with the CPC leadership before we move on into, I, I guess, what's next for right now and the other um, valuable areas outside of the CPC um, leadership and party itself that pro-lifers can get involved with? Well, I think there's 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 a few different things to unpack there. Um, okay. So I'm going to delve right into it if you don't mind. First off, you, you know, you, you kind of brought it up at the beginning of the premise of your question, which is, you know, we haven't seen a margin of victory this large. I would say within a leadership race uh, here in Canada, federally, provincially, you haven't seen a margin of victory this large in terms of the raw vote. Um, but let's remember that when Justin Trudeau won the Liberal Party of Canada leadership race in 2013, and mind you, back then, uh, right before that, at their to- uh, 2012 convention, the Liberal Party of Canada decided that um, in order to get a membership to vote specifically in leadership races, it wouldn't cost any money. So it wouldn't cost 10 15 $20. It would be free. So in that race, you only had 100,000 people vote. But um, Justin Trudeau won that race with 80%. Uh, it was about 80,000 people voted for him. So 80% of the raw vote. Uh, roughly the same number, I, th- I believe, for um, points because they have they have the same point system as the Conservative Party, and he won three hundred of the three hundred and then three hundred and eight federal ridings. So he had a higher proportion of ridings as well. So very similar, mind you, to um, to Pierre, uh, but not not exactly in terms of the percentage. He 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 had even more control of the party, so to speak, than than Pierre does. Not to say that Pierre doesn't. Um, going into the leadership. And that's another thing I'd like to say is that, you know, the leadership race is over. We can't relitigate it. I think a lot of us don't want to relitigate it. Uh, Pierre is a leader. He does have a very, very significant mandate. 
Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, what he does with that mandate. So, so like I was saying, Saturday evening on the tenth, you know, we had our, I had my in laws over, and and you know, we had cake and presents or whatever, celebrating my daughter's first birthday. Um, shortly before I went to bed, I would got a few different texts from some people saying, did you know, did you see Pierre's amazing speech? And I said, well, no, it's my daughter's birthday, but you know, maybe tomorrow evening or Monday morning, I'll check it out. And so this past Monday morning, I reviewed his speech, his acceptance speech, his speech to uh, national caucus that, that Monday morning. And no, no question for me. And I, I can see the point and happily so that it was a very well-delivered speech. Uh, maybe one of the best well-delivered speeches by any leader of the opposition for probably decades. Um, but in terms of content, I, I didn't find it to be a super great or super amazing speech like people were talking about. Um, I noted it for for a lot what it didn't include. Like he didn't talk about, you know, gun rights. He didn't talk about um, free speech when it comes to C, Bill C-11, the internet bill. Uh, he didn't talk about defunding the CBC. He didn't talk about anything about the World Economic Forum, which you know, frankly, really isn't one of my issues. But th- these were these were a lot of issues, uh, or, or the firing of the Bank of Canada or Bitcoin. Like these are issues. Some would even argue, perhaps even staples of his campaign uh, during the leadership race, and immediately they were all dropped. You know, he more or less just focused on inflation, which is his prerogative. But you already see the pivot there, um, and so you know, him and his team have to be a little bit careful about that as well, because you know, two hundred ninety-five thousand people voted for him, and. Sure, I, I would say there would be tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand that voted for him on, you know, the fact that he is going to be so eloquent on his his personal pet issues, especially being inflation, which of course is an issue right now across Canada and frankly uh, around the world. It's not just Canada that's ex- experiencing high inflation; it's it's most of the world economy. But um, you know, he is a leader. You know, he's going to go forward and and and, and do his own thing. Um, and we can operate in that, you know, uh, it's time for pro-lifers to focus on uh, other aspects. Uh, it's not just the leadership. Um, you know, we, we live in a Westminster parliamentary democracy, which is, of course, being reminded to us uh, uh, during this time of national mourning with the passing of Her Late Majesty uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, we don't live in a presidential republic. Um you know, it, it, we don't have a president that can veto legislation. We have 338 individual members of parliament. And so it's up to us as pro-lifers to make sure that we get as many pro-lifers into the House of Commons as possible. Because if we want to actually pass pro-life legislation, whether it be, you know, restricting sex-selective abortion or, um, uh, uh, you know, restricting even the criteria for physician-assisted suicide, if not eliminating altogether, um, you know, you, you do need to build toward a pro-life majority in the House of Commons. And so you can, I think at this point, at least we can do that with Pierre as leader. Uh, I don't see him kind of doing what Aaron O'Toole was doing toward the end of his leadership. If he does, then we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. But yeah, I, I think uh, pro-lifers can, can operate within that. And I think that's very reasonable. And I don't think there really is any reason at this point for, for anyone to kind of attack the leader, like people were piling on to Aaron toward the end. We're, we're not seeing any of that stuff. There's been a few funny things this first week that he's done, some things that I don't particularly like. It's not really my style. Some things that I don't think particularly help him or the party. Um, but nothing that I would you know light my hair on fire over and, and say, you know, it's all done and we can't work within the party. I think there's a lot of opportunity to to do so. Gotcha. I think that's a very sober and very wise kind of approach to it, because I, I feel like at times and, and again, I invite your comment on this. I feel like 
pro-lifers and many people who want to just dabble in politics and and then run away from it as long as they can and then get back in and get out. Um, we often look at these leadership races, whether it's Jason Kenney, whether it's Andrew Scheer, whether it's Leslie Lewis, whether it's somebody like that, and we say, um, this person is basically going to be the savior of the pro-life movement, of my issue, of whatever. And if I get them elected, then perfect. I get to disappear. If I don't get them elected, then I disappear anyways until I have another opportunity to replace them. But I think that's a, a fantastic point that this doesn't end the opportunities that pro-lifers have to make a substantial impact in the politics of our nation just because we didn't get the ideal candidate elected as leader of one of a few parties that many of our listeners here are, are probably thinking about, right? Not even to mention the People's Party of Canada, the Christian Heritage Party, any other independents or, or other parties that might have a strong pro-life candidate, that this isn't doomsday. This isn't a matter of, I, I like the, the clarification on, on the electoral process, right? This isn't even like Joe Biden getting elected. Mm -hmm. So we are so far away from that, that there are so many different areas that we can angle our um, our attention, our efforts, our our time and energy and finances towards. Um, and, and maybe let's dive into some of those. So you've mentioned already the, the UCP leadership. Um, bring, bring us up to speed on where that's at and what, um, I, if memory serves correct, your people aren't able to buy memberships to that anymore. I think the, that deadline has passed. Um, but I'm sure that campaigning deadlines, if, even if audience members weren't able to get a membership or maybe you don't leave, live in Alberta, what can be done for a UCP leadership campaign? What can be done in any other areas of focus of right now, um, that, that we can start channeling some energy towards as opposed to waiting until, um, the the cpc leadership comes under under fire again and then we get back involved however many years from now that might be what can we do tomorrow what can we do today um that can make a difference well first off i want to talk about the importance of and and, and to reinforce your point of, of staying involved in the political process and in the consequences of not doing so so I know that back in June, a lot of people um, were very happy to see that in the United States, that the Supreme Court of the United States had uh, nullified uh, the decision of Roe v. Wade from 1973 with the Dobbs decision. And in the wake of that, um, it was open up to the states to determine what sort of uh, abortion regulations and restrictions and laws they would like to pass. And while there are many states that passed uh, laws that, that would save a lot of lives and help a lot of mothers out, um, there was also opportunities for the pro-life movement politically in the United States to, to you know, get some of these uh, laws passed in, in, in other states to help, uh, you know, pregnant mothers, especially in crisis pregnancies and their uh, pre-born children, and they failed to do so. You know, they failed to do so um, in defending Sarah Palin up in Alaska. Now, granted, they moved from a first-past-the-post to a ranked ballot system. Alaska, I believe, is one of the only states, uh, if not the only state, that does that. So, you know, there is a giant asterisk there. Uh, but but she lost that special, what they call a special election. We would call a by-election in uh, Westminster parliamentary countries. Uh, in the state of Kansas, for their referendum, uh, of what kind of, uh, you know, pro I believe whether or not to have a pro-life amendment to their state constitution that failed in a, in a frankly in a very red state, a very Republican state like Kansas, a very pro-life state. And what's happening is that uh, the pro-life movement in the United States is starting to take their gas off the pedal a little bit. Uh, all Roe v. Wade did was allow the opportunity for states to pass certain pieces of legislation as strong or as weak as they want. Uh, it it kind of took that roadblock out of the way. It, it didn't make abortion illegal 
uh, in every single state right across the United States. So, you know, there's a huge lesson for us to learn here in Canada. And the other thing, too, is getting involved uh, politically doesn't mean you have to do it all day, every day. Uh, that's why I get paid, you know. So so people watching this don't have to do that. Um but if you're in our right now database, I'm sorry, I'm going to make a little plug in, the, in this regard. If you are in our right now database, we're going to contact you when there's an opportunity to get involved to advance the pro-life message on a very local level, whether it's supporting a candidate that's running for a nomination for the UCP, for example, in Alberta, or for you know the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, we'll let you know who your most winnable pro-life candidate is in your riding. You know, it might be the conservative candidate. It might not. It might be the PPC candidate who um, within your kind of geographic region. So within a 30 to 45 minute drive of where you live is the best candidate to go and knock on doors for or, or do some phone calls for during a general election, whether it be a provincial or federal. So it's important that you're in our database, www.startsrightnow.ca, so that we can actually keep you informed on all these things that happen, especially on a local level. Um, one quick um, side note, tangent, if I can, about that is when uh, during the, the the federal leadership race for the Conservative Party of Canada, at the beginning, in the beginning of February, we sent out a poll, not a poll, a survey amongst our 30,000 supporters, having several thousand respond, basically saying, you know, if if you were to be a member of the Conservative Party of Canada and vote today, what, what who would you put a number one spot on your first ballot? And uh, we had, you know, a variety of names. We had, of course, Leslie Lewis, and we had uh, Pierre um, uh, Polliver. We had, uh, uh, I don't think we had Scott H's. And then we had Peter McKay, John Trey, and, and Roman Babber. I know, I know we had that. And uh, the first result in early February was a 53-45 split between Leslin and Pierre. That means that 45% of people in a pro-life database were willing to put Pierre over the pro-life candidate. But over time, we we informed people like this is Pierre's voting record. He voted uh, to keep sex selective abortion. Uh, he didn't vote on C sixteen, which is that piece of legislation that made uh, Dr. Peterson so famous when he stood up against it in the Senate uh, committees uh, when it came to amending the criminal or pardon me the um, Canadian Human Rights Code um, for basically you know pronouns. Um, you know he he voted in favor of the conversion therapy bill that would basically jail parents and pastors that they want to have those sort of discussions uh, with their children. So, you know, this 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 was a voting record, uh, a public voting record, one that frankly, he wasn't running from, but again, not really highlighting that we highlighted to our supporters. And then so we asked the same question to our supporters at the end of May, uh, beginning of June, especially after those um, uh, leadership race debates during the month of May. And then the result came back and it was 85% for Leslin and something like 11 or 12% for Pierre. So it was important that people are in our database so we can actually give them the information because frankly, it's not the job of CCBR. It's not the job of Weenet Law. It's not the job of you know, a lot of other pro-life groups as helpful as that would be to to inform them politically. That's You, you guys don't uh, operate in the realm of politics. We operate in the realm of politics. And... Uh, I'm sure our, our mutual friend Jonathan can attest to this, but I had numerous people who are within the uh, Dutch reform community in Canada saying that so many people, particularly in that community, were putting Pierre over Leslin. 
but they didn't realize like all the baggage that came with with Pierre. They just saw, oh, there's this guy that's gonna he he says Justin Trudeau bad really eloquently, and you know he was with us from the beginning of, uh, with the with the Freedom Convoy and whatnot, which is totally not the case. Um, you know, one, one guy told me that um, I went to a presentation. Uh, it was my first public presentation, my first in-person presentation since November of 2019, actually, when we did it in uh, Calgary together. And uh, it was shortly after Easter Sunday, at least Easter Sunday, the Gregorian calendar in April. And uh, it was put on by a local uh, Dutch Reform community uh, not far from where I live in the Niagara. And uh, it was a decent turnout. There was about 30, maybe 40. And uh, it was a lovely evening. And we got them involved and informed and whatnot. But one of the organizers pulled me aside afterward. And he said, I'm so, so sorry. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, like, a, I think they had like, it was either an event where they had hundreds of people, like a, a couple months before that, uh, specifically regarding the, the restrictions, especially placed upon uh, religious communities in the province of Ontario. But he, I can't remember if it was that community or never community, but he did say, that there was a lot of people in that community who took three weeks off of work voluntarily, drove all the way up to Ottawa in the dead of winter in January and February to protest against the government's restrictions, which I have no problem with, and I agree with them. But if we had even 10% of that passion, you know, toward uh, the 300 babies that die every day in the womb uh, for now I have to have a vaccine card to go to a restaurant, which again, I disagree with, you know, I wish... Those who are that personally inconvenienced and and so inflamed with the passion that they were going to take vacation and not go to work and take a pay cut through their salary for the year to go and protest this could put Leslin ahead, could put the pro-life black lady ahead of the pro-abortion white guy on their um, on their leadership ballot. Now, I believe a, a reason why a lot of them did, from what I'm told, is because, and I don't mean to 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 uh, you know just single out the Dutch reform community. This is just the reality, and this is what people told me, is because they're not in our database. So that's the second thing to do. And then finally, uh, what are some of the things you can do locally? Well, we can provide you the tools necessary to actually advance the pro-life agenda. So if we have an identify, or if you have ideas for someone who is strongly pro-life, well-rounded, who should run in for public office and be an elected official, whether an MP or an MLA, let us know. And then we will let you know if you're if you're in our database, like, you know, hey, Cam Cote, he's running for the nomination in Calgary Shepherd, and he needs he needs your help to sell memberships. So, uh, you know, can you go door knocking with him? Can you you know, work the phones? Can you for all the people, your pro-life family and friends and connections that live in South Calgary? Can you uh, get on the horn and, and contact them, text them, email them, encourage them to buy a membership um, sitting on your local board of directors. So that's so important for each party has in every riding a local board of directors that runs the affairs of the party within the riding and designed specifically to get a candidate elected. Um, but in addition to that, those local board of directors hold a lot of sway within political parties in terms of what gets debated or not debated at party policy conventions. And of course, party policy conventions, which is another thing you can do and attend, and they happen every two years and they change from city to city for the Conservative Party of Canada. The next one will be uh, at this rate in August. I could see it being later of 2023 in Quebec City. Uh, that's where you debate and vote on what the actual official policy would be for the Conservative Party of Canada. So if we want to say, actually, no, I'm sorry, Pierre, but the Conservative Party is officially pro-life and we really you know, encourage you to adopt that position, whether it be against sex-selective abortions or late-term abortions or whatever the case might be, 
that's the time to do it. So there's there's a variety of things that people can do that people should be doing all, all the way along. And even if you sit on an EDA board of directors, by the way, EDA stands for Electoral District Association. It's just a fancy way of saying riding. Um, it's not a huge time commitment. But yeah, it is a time commitment. It's, it's about, you know, maybe a couple hours a month on average, some months a little bit more than less and some months less, especially, you know, if it's an election year or not. Uh, but these are all important things. And, and one of the reasons why political parties like the Liberal Party of Canada, like the Conservative Party of Canada, to a certain extent, like the United Conservative Party of Alberta, aren't as pro-life as we would want them to be is because when you look in the mirror, that guy or girl that's looking back at you isn't doing any of the things that I'm asking. Or or if you are doing some of the things that you're asking, you need to bring more people involved. Like, you know, if Pierre had 300, almost 300,000 people vote for him, surely there would be a thousand people per riding, thousand pro-lifers specifically per riding that can take out a membership because you can be as young as 14. You don't have to be a citizen of the crown. You could be a permanent resident. Surely we could find a thousand per riding that can take out a membership who are pro-life to vote for someone, especially as someone like Leslie Lewis. You know, it's not that hard. This is a function of time, but these are things that people can do in the here and now. Absolutely. And I, I, uh, so first of all, it's scary that you know that I live in Calgary Shepherd. Um, second of all, I'm not going to be running any, anytime soon, hopefully. Um, third I already of all, tweeted it I, out. I already tweeted it out. So, it, <laughs> um, and uh, third of all, I cannot recommend highly enough, um, being a part of, of your guys's, um, mailing list because, and, and this is one of the biggest reasons why I don't get more involved in political stuff, but I, I realized a hack recently. If you are on right now's mailing list and you are in their database and they're sending you very measured, very seldom, it's not the right word, but like, like not overwhelming volumes of communication, you can unsubscribe from all of the other crap that you're getting from all of the other candidates. So like, Part of the reason why I don't like getting involved in politics is because my inbox gets absolutely <laughs> chock block full of like the number of Steve Outhouse um, emails that I get being like, hey, my last my last email ever, my last response to this, my last like just but those, those ones that started inundated. go to the top, right? Those Steve, oh, exactly. ones. Those yeah, Steve yeah. Outhouse ones go up, but like everybody in the conservative party has my email and they're all emailing me all of their stuff. But to be able to just unsubscribe from all of that and not have to parse through all of the rhetoric and all of the whatever, like, is this guy actually pro-life? Like, or is this guy trying to pander to me by using language that is going to resonate with me without actually saying what he, what I think that he's saying or she's saying to be able to cut all of that out? And, and I'm sure that that you would um, avidly, not maybe not enjoy, but but you guys are, are the ones who are going through all of that content to figure out what needs to be passed on to people in your database. That's what I find incredible that I can, I can skip all the rest of that and know that you guys are doing all of that filtering for me. It's kind of like why I love having Jonathan Van Maren come on the podcast because he reads all of those wretched books yeah. about what's happening in, in the culture. And he does all of that research to, to um, wade through the filth of our world and bring me updates on what I need to know from everything that he has filtered through so that I can make, valuable um high return on investment kind of action items that that makes sense and so i i cannot recommend that highly enough i'll put that in the show notes below how to get plugged into right now um but that that sounds fantastic um whew, lots more unpacking that, that should be done i'm sure on all of this um 
But with that said, what kind of, I, I guess a question that, that comes up to my mind, I, I had a, a friend of mine reach out to me to say that they are looking to get more involved in politics. And you mentioned the idea of getting involved with an EDA, mm-hmm. um, electoral district association, or those kind of things. For a guy like me, or most of the people that I know, that is a daunting idea to get involved, go into this um, forum that I'm very unfamiliar with. Um, is it fair to say that you are in a position to do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of mentoring, a little bit of support when it comes to like, okay, Scott, you told me to sign up for for this. You told me to vote for this. I am now registered for um, the, the conservative convention in Quebec City. I've never been to Quebec City before. It looks lovely. How do I actually make a difference? This isn't just a matter of sporadic um, stuff. I'm, I'm sure that if people wanted more guidance, more mentorship, more support on how to make the most of their particular writing, not only do you have a memory like a steel trap that's going to be able to coach them through the history of their particular writing, what kind of support are you able, and by you, um, by extension, the entire Right Now team, able to offer and provide for somebody who wants to take that next step and get involved with their EDA, get involved with politics, maybe maybe run for, for office. What does that look like for them and the support they can anticipate from a group like right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we have a few materials that we're able to provide. We have some um, simple how-to guides. So, you know, uh, we have an EDA one. It's a, it's a few pages long, it's about three or four pages, but it has all the information you need in there. Um, it has, uh, um, you know, what, what, what is an EDA? Like who sits on an EDA? How do I get onto the EDA? Who else is going to be on the EDA? How often do they meet? What do they actually do? What is expected of me? What are the different things that I can do? Cause of course not everyone does the same thing on an EDA board. You have different committees, um, like any other volunteer board, um, and uh, what, what is the importance of the EDA? Why, why as a pro-lifer, do I need to know about this and do I need to get involved? So we have a simple how-to guide that you can quickly read through. And then, of course, um, you know, we, we will help you in, in terms of like, you know, yeah, this is something I want to pursue and I want to sit on my EDA board of directors. Okay, so then we need to find, you need to find out as a member of the party from your existing EDA when the next AGM is, the annual general meeting, because that's when the new board the board has to be elected every year at the agm that's where you can get pro-lifers onto the board sometimes an eda will have a full complement in the conservative party of canada for example there is a maximum of 30 eda board members that are allowed some edas have all 30 some edas have less than 30 so if you have less than 30 you can get elected at any time during the year if there's already 30 well then you have to run for a position and try to win a position on the board and then we'll let you know you know maybe there are already some pro-lifers on the board that we can connect you with and they'll help you out and they'll have the local knowledge about who's who on the board um and they can help you out that we, we don't have that obviously in every riding that's something that we, we want to you know work toward and then we have uh zoom calls we, we've done this with people before who have signed up in and were successful as delegates, whether they went to the convention in Halifax in 2018 for the Conservative Party of Canada or the convention virtually for the, the Conservative Party of Canada in 2021. Um, Zoom calls a few times all the way through on, you know, this is the expectation, you know, roughly this is how much it would cost. Of course, for the the virtual one, there is basically no cost. Um, you know, these are the things that we're trying to push forward. This is why we're trying to push it forward. And I will say that there are a number of people who went to the 2018 convention and were part of the 2021 convention that saw the importance of, oh, like this is why I need to be on the EDA because the EDAs between the 338 will vote on which 
policy proposals yet to go to the final 100 that will actually be voted on at the convention or the final 70, whatever the cutoff is. And so you have we had situations last year in 2021 where um, you had an EDA board of directors vote not only not for the pro-life policy, but vote in favor of a pro-abortion policy. But the entirety of their slate of delegates, all 10 delegates, because each riding gets to send 10 delegates, all 10 delegates for that uh, riding were pro-life. There was a disconnect between the board of directors and the membership of the party in the riding. And the disconnect was that pro-lifers are at this stage, but they haven't gotten to this stage of being on the board. And so we were we have taken over, if you will, uh, some boards of directors, frankly, of some not pro-life conservative members of parliament where now pro-lifers control their board. And that's important as well, because uh, if you can control the board, you control the money for the EDA on the board. And the e- it, it, the EDA transfers money to the campaign, to the re-election campaign of a member of parliament. So, you know, EDAs do, boards of directors do have influence on your local MP. So if your local MP is especially not pro-life and conservative, um, then, then you can, you know, exert some significant influence there. So, um, but that's something that we guide people through that process on, on how it all works. And ideally, if we can create a bit of a team, so it's not just you alone running for a position on the board, but you know, start small and, and take baby steps and work big. So maybe there's three or four or five people who or pro-lifers who want to run for, you know, five seats out of 30 on your local conservative EDA, then we can work together. We can help build a list of people who will become members of the party to vote for you at the upcoming AGM, whenever that might be. Usually they occur in the autumn or in the early spring. Um, those are all the types of things that, that, we we have done that we look forward to do and i for everyone listening hopefully that's something you you might consider as well yeah absolutely i i really hope that that is the case for many people out there and i feel like there is an appetite or maybe not quite so much an appetite that's growing but a a willingness to get involved i know far more people that are starting to get more and more involved i'm sure that you guys have have experienced that largely through the efforts of your organization um Last two-part question. I want to throw your direction so I don't eat up all of your time. So we, we've talked about um, the UCP leadership. Uh, give me one thing that somebody living in Alberta and one thing that somebody living outside of Alberta can do to make sure that a pro-life candidate, uh, Travis Taves, I, I forgot the name of the other person that you had mentioned as well. Todd Lowen. Uh, Todd Lowen um, could do to help them um, – kind of make up the gap or push them over the top from where Danielle Smith is right now. So somebody in Alberta, somebody outside of Alberta, what can we do? Yeah, you did ask that question earlier and I apologize because I didn't get to it. So, um, you know, like you said, like you, you can no longer purchase a membership and be eligible to vote for the United Conservative Par- Party of Alberta leadership race. Uh, the ballots have already been sent in the mail that uh, went out shortly after Labor Day. So people are filling all their ballots and starting to mail them back because it's a mail in ballot. Um, and mail-in ballots in uh, leadership races is something that has been done for 20-plus years across Canada. That's that's nothing out of the ordinary. So yeah. so what can you do if you can't sell memberships? Well, for example, tra- Travis Taves, um, you know, the, the, the top pro-lifer in the race, he's going to have a list of supporters, and he's going to need to encourage those people to make sure they fill out their ballots, fill them out properly, mind you, and mail them back in time. This is known as Get Out the Vote, GOTV. So there's a couple ways you can help with GOTV. Uh, maybe you ha- are running a ballot drop center if you live in Alberta. So people that live within the riding, there are, are um, 
supporters of Travis. Maybe they don't have a printer where they need to print off certain documentation. Uh, maybe they have questions about how, how to fill out their ballot and they don't quite know. Or maybe they don't have time to to drop it off for whatever reason to um, uh, to the mailbox. Or maybe there, it is getting later in the process and it is getting later in the process as of recording, this is the 15th. And I think they need to be received by the end of the month or something of that nature. Um, so maybe regular mail doesn't get it in on time so they can drop their ballots off. They all be bundled up and uh, you can express mail it back to the campaign and they'll take care of it mm-hmm. there. Uh, if they might need help with people knocking on doors to supporters to say, Hey, you know, uh, do you have your ballot filled out? I'm here. I'm here to help. Uh, I can take it with me and off we go. Uh, it could be that uh, people need their ballots picked up. Um, and if you live outside of Alberta, or even if you live within Alberta, you can uh, help uh, with phone calls, you can help with uh, perhaps uh, emailing certain people, text messaging, whatever the case might be. If you want to help, let us know. Just send us an email, info at itstartsrightnow.ca. We'll connect you with the pro-life campaigns, and then they will be able to help, uh, or they'll be able to give you the information of what they need and how to help them specifically in order to get over the top. And that just doesn't apply to the, this current UCP leadership race. That applies to any leadership race, whether it be a federal one for the Conservative Party of Canada, or even in a local nomination, that, uh, that applies as well, although those votes won't be mail-in. Gotcha. Scott Hayward, folks, president, leader, um, chief. I, I don't know what your role is with right now, but but the man, the myth, the legend from right now. <laughs> um, thanks, Dunn, for joining me, and I hope that you enjoy the, the Bombers game. I, I'm guessing that you're still a Bombers fan, um, even though you'll be watching it in Hamilton. Is that fair to say you're going to be? Oh, in, yeah. Uh, no, I'll, I'll be the, there. The... I'll be there sporting the blue and gold. There's I, I bleed blue there. I'll, there's no way that I'll never not be a Bombers fan. I mean, they won the a great cup in 1990 and then they didn't win another one until 2019. So I went through a good portion of growing up uh, during the dark years of uh, the Bombers, but they if they win the Grey Cup this year, and of course they're the favorites to do so, especially yeah. with Nathan Workout, which is just horrendous, they'll be the yeah. first uh, team in the CFL to win three uh, Grey Cups in a row since I believe the Warren Moon days of the Edmonton Eskimos back in the 80s. So it's that been a long, long time. Yeah, that's crazy. And and especially it's weird for me being in Calgary. And, and I can't say that I'm a diehard Stamps fan, but um, the Stamps are, are struggling now. Bo Levi Mitchell is on the on the way down. And so uh, maybe one day we'll start a when, when abortion is no longer an issue and we're old <laughs> men, we'll start a, a sports podcast. Stamps, <laughs> Stamps have Stamps have a new mayor in town and Jake Mayer. And that guy, a, he, he he knows how to throw the ball. They got two does. great quarterbacks there. So anyways, he all right. Does. Thanks for having me on camp. We'll do a sports <laughs> podcast sometime. Love it. Have a good one, Scott. All right, folks, that was my conversation with Scott Hayward. Um, He's an absolute gem in the movement, not only because of the incredible memory, his incredible political mind and all that sort of thing, um, but also his wisdom and insight. And so thank you to Scott and thank each and every one of you for tuning in. Unfortunately, my daughter is still trying to press her way onto the camera. So I'm going to sign off real quick. No announcements, no websites, no nothing. We're going to plug a bunch of stuff in the description below. God bless y'all wherever you are and whatever time zone you're in. All right. God bless. Bye.